0: The Biz News
1: Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Quite an unusual program coming up for you Thursday. Remember, we broadcast Monday through Thursday, the power hour, and then on a Friday, uh, it's the turn of Carrie's Corner for the naughty or the fun Friday uh, episode or edition. But uh, today, well, we're going to be hearing a most extraordinary story. And uh, Nadia Swat is, is with us. Nadia, you did the, uh, the voicing of this. It was a – I know who wrote it. So it's not just uh, pulled out of the air. It was an open letter to the president that's gone viral on, uh, on, on social media. And indeed, I had a look at the number a minute ago. 135,000 people have read this on Business News since it was published less than 24 hours ago. And you read it for us. We're going to play that a little later in the program. It made a big impact on me and you.
2: It's absolutely chilling. I mean, I was trying to sort of stay as composed as possible, but just reading it it sort of brings up feelings.
1: Brilliantly written. It's hit quite a few spots. It's a little bit of the zeitgeist of the moment for South Africa. If you're not going to read it, you can listen to it, and I think it is quite an experience. But coming up later in the program, that would be after... Uh, We've heard from our partners at the Financial Times in London and, of course, Pete Fulian, every Thursday evening, the most rational of market commentators, uh, speaks to us. Uh, We'll be talking about, well, things like that. Uh, I know Pete has read the letter, so it'll be interesting to get his insights as well. A little later in the program, we will hear uh, from our uh, webinar that occurred today. Uh, It was very useful (laughs) insights, including one of the questions – which was to Magnus Haystack, Claude Bassac, uh, who were the two guests, and I chipped in as well, of course, because I feel passionate about these things, uh, from one of the attendees who asked, should he and his young family be leaving South Africa? Some surprising uh, results there, uh, which I think you'll find very interesting. And then is this a resuscitation of the scorpions or something even bigger? Well, Paul Hoffman SC, that means senior counsel, as he explained to me, it's like a serious advocate. In fact, Nadia, you know what a senior counsel is. Uh, you were from that field once. You were, you're actually a trained lawyer.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's just it's a very prestigious title, but it takes a lot of time to basically get there. Like you can't get there just as a really prestigious young lawyer. You have to have been in the game for really long. All
1: right. So it's an advocate who can…
2: So he knows his stuff.
1: He knows yeah, his he's, stuff. He's
2: been around. He's seen things.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, well, Paul is the founder and the protagonist of uh, Accountability Now. He's got together with some heavyweight politicians to propose the approval of a new Chapter 9 institution. There are six of them, which includes things like the Public Protector. But this new Chapter 9 institution is going to be uh, called the Integrity Commission. And the way he explains it, it's like the scorpions, but even more powerful. So very interesting. Stick around for that one too. Before though, all of that, we first going to find out what's going on in the news and the markets
3: bright rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different the daily movement in the markets mean change for us all sometimes small sometimes big this daily market report is made just for you by bright rock the first ever needs mesh to life insurance that changes as your life changes well nadia
1: now you can tell us what's in the news
2: Grocery retailer Pick and Pay CEO Peter Boone says the alcohol sales ban urgently needs to be lifted, especially in the aftermath of last last week's widespread rioting and looting, as many independent retailers won't survive if it goes on for much longer. Boone said that Pick and Pay was working very hard in anticipation of the lifting of the ban and that by the end of next week, they will have repaired and be ready to reopen 28 of their 76 severely damaged liquor stores in Keizerin and Gauteng. In total, 136 of Pick and Pay's food, grocery, clothing and building stores across KZN and Ghateng were looted and or burnt down, along with 76 liquor stores. Two Pick and Pay distribution centres in KZN were also severely damaged. The National Prosecuting Authority has tasked senior prosecutors with driving cases against alleged instigators of the public violence and looting, which began in KZN and spread to Ghateng, on Wednesday, Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services raised questions about the work of the courts, NPA and SAPS to arrest those responsible for stoking the unrest, during which at least 215 people died. The committee heard police have arrested more than 3,400 suspects, of whom 1,700 were in custody. Advocate Shamila Batoye, the National Director of Public Prosecutions, has stated that the NPA would follow the evidence only and serve the people of South Africa and not political factions. With over 2.3 million COVID-19 infections, South Africa is the worst-hit country on the African continent. However, the country is also leading the way with regards to vaccinations. According to Bloomberg, a record of almost 258,000 COVID-19 shots have been, were administered on Wednesday the 21st of July, adding to the ever-increasing total of just over 5.8 million. This uptick in vaccine distribution follows the announcement that over 35s are now eligible for their COVID-19 shot.
1: That's really good news on the vaccine front because uh, we know that you can still catch COVID uh, after being vaccinated. I know because that was my experience. Uh, however, yes, it course. makes it much much easier. And uh, I have a a ninety five year old father in law uh, who was vaccinated, has COVID. It's been a, it's been a battle. It's been a struggle, but he's uh, he's very much on the upgrade now. So it just shows. It certainly is a good thing to get vaccinated, uh, no matter what age you are. Well, uh, our uh, colleague, Justin Rowe Roberts, is uh, ready with the market report for us. Justin?
4: The JSU All Share Index was up at 67,200. In the currency markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies, 14 rand, 62 cents to the dollar, 20 rand and 17 cents to the pound and 17 rand 28 cents to the euro. Gold is down at $1,800 an ounce. A Kruger rand will cost you 27 and a half thousand rand. Brent crude is up at $72.80 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency Bitcoin will cost you 770,000 rand. In the financial news today, Investec has acquired a 5.5% stake in JSC listed at Imperial Logistics. Imperial has recently announced that Dubai-based DP World has offered shareholders 66 rand per share to delist the company. The shares are currently trading at around a 10% discount to its buyout price. The offer is still subject to shareholder approval and will be concluded in the first quarter of 2022. Imperial shares are largely unchanged for the day. Royal Buffer King Platinum announced a bumper trading update in line with other commodity counters that were released earlier this week. Commodity producer expects profits to increase fivefold from the prior period last year. The shares were up around 5% on the day.
1: And just to remind you that whatever you hear uh, on the Biz News Power Hour is really a little bit like a shop window for the Biz News content. Uh, For instance, the discussion I have uh, with Paul Hoffman, which comes up a little bit later, uh, you can get the full interview on Biz News, which runs – well. Probably double the length of the of the edited one that you will be hearing now, and this is the case with many of the contributions that we have on this program. Uh, also, just to remind you that that webinar today, uh, which was Quovadis South Africa, where to from here, uh, with Magnus Haystick and uh, Claude Bessac, you can pick that up by going onto the BizNews TV channel on YouTube. Lots of uh, videos there that you'll be able to access as well so this is a little bit like uh, best of if you like uh, and then the other parts of uh, what our team is at uh, the, well hard at it all day every not all day every day but anyway we have quite a lot of fun putting together our product our, um, products for you uh, you can go and find that on the various Business news channels and of course biznews.com
3: This market report was made just for you by Brad Rock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
0: Today is Thursday, July 22nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. and Germany have reached a truce in their dispute over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and U.S. housing costs are rising. Well, look at what this means for the inflation debate. Plus, the U.K. wants to overhaul key parts of the Brexit trade deal. The EU says it's a no-go. There's
5: a kind of sword of Damocles hanging over this. If the U.K. does unilaterally suspend the Northern Ireland Protocol, that will lead to retaliation and a real deterioration in the U.K.-EU relationship, which is bad enough already.
0: I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. The U.S. and Germany have reached a truce over the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Nord Stream 2 will provide Germany with gas from Russia. Previous U.S. administrations opposed the pipeline across the Baltic Sea. They saw it as a potential threat to U.S. allies in Europe. But construction was almost done when Biden came in, so his administration took a different approach. Here's the FT's Amy Williams.
3: So the Biden administration, instead of going in hard with sanctions against Germany, it's decided instead to try and come to some kind of diplomatic agreement with Berlin, whereby Berlin promises to deal with Russia. Essentially, if Russia does anything to threaten European energy security, Berlin says it will put sanctions on Russia.
0: Under this agreement with the U.S., Germany will provide funds to Ukraine to transition away from oil and gas, among other support for Ukraine. Kiev is still not happy with the agreement, though, and says it doesn't provide enough protection. The U.S. and Ukraine could hammer this out next month when President Vladimir Zelensky visits Washington. Just when you thought Brexit was over, the drama continues. And this time it involves the single biggest outstanding issue from Brexit, Northern Ireland. Seven months after the UK and the EU negotiated a Brexit deal, the UK now wants to overhaul a trade system that deals with Northern Ireland. First, here's the FT's George Parker on why Northern Ireland continues to be such a big issue.
5: Northern Ireland finds itself in a unique position in the sense that it's part of the United Kingdom, but also after the Brexit deal, it remains part of the European Union single market for goods. And that means that that this special arrangement for Northern Ireland was set up basically to avoid there being a hard border on the island of Ireland. So checks need to be done on goods travelling from the mainland of the United Kingdom, from Great Britain to Northern Ireland, to stop things leaking across the border into the EU single market. And those checks are carried out on the Irish Sea border. That's caused a lot of tensions because The pro-UK unionist community in Northern Ireland doesn't like the idea of a barrier being erected between constituent parts of the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a mess to cut a long story short. And the UK sees this as untenable.
0: So the UK's minister for Brexit proposed replacing key parts of the Northern Ireland protocol with another one that's largely based on the honesty of traders. Brussels said, no, no renegotiation. But there is a deadline looming at the end of
5: September. Well, in terms of the timetable on this now, um, David Frost, the Brexit minister, has said he doesn't want to set deadlines. But in fact, there is a deadline looming, which is uh, the end of September. That's when a series of so-called grace periods end, when the full weight of checks are supposed to be uh, applied on the cross-Irish Sea traffic on things like chilled meats, parcels and things like that. And David Frost is saying that we want to have constructive negotiations. We want to freeze the current situation. We want to extend these waiver periods, grace periods, indefinitely. And if the EU doesn't negotiate constructively and put all this, the current arrangements on on hold, then he's holding back the option of overriding the whole treaty unilaterally. So there's a kind of sword of Damocles hanging over this. If the UK does unilaterally suspend or collapse the Northern Ireland Protocol, that will lead to retaliation from the EU, sanctions, tariffs, who knows what, and a real deterioration in the UK-EU relationship, which is bad enough already.
0: George Parker is the FT's political editor. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
1: thursday our last business power hour of the week and that means time to pick up with pit for our weekly discussion mm. pit uh, it's been well not as dramatic a week this week as last week when we were talking seven days ago we were in the middle yes. of, of yes. the chaos uh looking yeah. back seven days later uh have you had time to reflect
6: yeah, look, I, I, I think uh, let's take a step back first of all and see what the market has done. And the amazing thing is the market has basically done nothing. The RAND is basically where it was. It's a touch weaker, but that's mainly because the dollar is stronger. Um, and the equity market has, has basically recovered everything that had lost very quickly. Uh, we had a down day again Monday. It's recovered that again. So the equity market done nothing. The RAND has done nothing. It's almost as if nothing nothing has happened. But I think in reality, um, a lot has happened. Um, uh, And at the community level, and in terms of um, uh, the man in the street level, I think a lot of positive things have happened. I think at the bigger macro political governmental level, Um, I think there's some serious question marks about the commitment of the government towards, you know, change. And and that's what we need in the country. We we desperately need political change. We need politics and business to rebuild trust, which is at rock-bottom levels. And that's not good for business. And it's not good for the outlook for the economy. Uh, So that definitely needs to happen. And I don't see any signs of that happening yet.
1: We've had a... Uh, An astonishingly good open letter to Soro Ramaphosa that was, I know the person who wrote it. It's now been read 135,000 times, even though it's only been on the website for 24 hours. And in there, it's quite difficult to read uh, because it's just a a long list of Mm. issues that are so obvious. We are going to be playing a recording of that. Uh, straight after this discussion, but it's almost like when you step back and have a look at what has been allowed to go on in South Africa over the last few years, that it's – I know some people talk about this boiled frog syndrome uh, where you put a frog into a pot of water and you bring it up to a boiling point. And the, because it's a slow process, the frog doesn't know until it's too late. It feels a bit like that in South Africa, but it also feels like what happened in the past uh, fortnight might have woken that frog up.
6: I think so. Uh, uh, The other thing I neglected to mention, and I think last week actually unveiled a hidden strength in South Africa, and that is our diversity. Um, the, The population is so heterogeneous that it's hard for one group to completely dominate and to take over and to... Uh, and to destroy what's there um, and we saw that in communities different communities different groups coming together and defending their property defending their environments uh, and it's that diversity is our strength in the country so that that was a very that was a quite a positive thing that came out of last week um, but coming back to the letter i read it and it's spot on i mean those are the things that are that is wrong with the country the Government does not care about business. It does not care about poor people. It does not care about communities. All it cares about is itself and keeping itself in power. I mean, for a respected financial journal like the Financial Mail to actually call ministers clowns on this front cover, that tells you how far um, the government has descended into chaos and, you know, ridicule. Uh, and that's what's happened. I mean, financial mail are actually calling the as clowns, and they're behaving like clowns. I mean, I don't know if you saw Fikili uh, Mbula's uh, interview. It's um, it's it, it's a clown show. It is actually a clown show, uh, and these are the people running the country, and it's unsustainable. It, it really is unsustainable.
1: There was an article in the financial in the Economist some years ago, where they said that in the UK, the second Eleven had uh, taken over in politics. And they bewailed the fact that the people, the politicians there were not really up to scratch. I guess in yeah. South Africa, when you, you start referencing clowns, uh, it shows that we have gone a long way down. But perhaps it's a global phenomenon that politics has become uh, a an area where you don't really have the first team playing anymore. And actually, you, you surely need the first team if you're going to get through this very difficult uh, environment that the world is in.
6: I think that's right. I think uh, that is the Achilles heel of democracy. Um, the politics of democracy always tends to devolve down to the lowest common denominator. And, and that's what's happening globally. It's just happened a lot quicker and a lot faster in South Africa. But it's happening in the U.S. Uh, I, I don't know. when last you saw an interview with President Biden. I, I don't think you can string three coherent sentences together. Um, you know, in the U.K., it's not. But at least those people are fairly competent. In South Africa, we have incompetent people in charge, absolutely incompetent people in charge.
1: So what does that mean for your money, for your uh, investments?
6: It means um, you should uh, invest offshore as far as you can. The only thing that is keeping a portion of my money still in South Africa is the fact that there's so much value here. Assets are cheap. So, and unfortunately, these things go together. Very bad politics and cheap assets tend to go together. And that's where we are in South Africa. So I think there's still money to be made here, both in the private sector by supplying services that are incapable of government can't supply. So there's money to be made there, business to be run, and, and money to be made. And also on the stock market, where there are really good businesses that are massively undervalued, and you can make money there too. So, so, and I've been saying this for a while now. I think you should diversify offshore. And whatever your sort of neutral level is for exposures to Africa, let's call that, you know, for argument's sake, 10% of your assets in South Africa. I think you should have more than that in South Africa at this point in time because of the value on offer. And that's the only reason, not because you're optimistic about the politics or you think things are going to come right or you think good things are going to happen. Um, uh, the only reason you would have money invested in South Africa now, and it's the best reason to have it, is the good value on offer.
1: Then surely that's great upside for the president to look at that and maybe change that. And if he can, if he can change the minds of the hard-nosed analysts uh, to bring a little more into South Africa, that would be quite a a leveraging factor.
6: If that could happen, you could have a bull market of huge proportions of Africa, if that could happen. What are the odds of that happening, of the government and business seeing eye to eye and rebuilding trust, and the government rebuilding the infrastructure and maintaining the infrastructure that business needs to produce growth, to produce jobs, to produce, in, produce income? What are the odds of that happening? I think the odds of that happening is quite low, but it's not zero. But I, you know, I think it's quite low. But the market in valuing businesses is saying – the odds are even lower. And that's the opportunity. That's an investment opportunity
1: one has. Mm. Pete, uh, there are things called value traps as well. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, looking at Tongart at six rand a share, uh, clearly yeah. has been hammered by, because of what's been going on in KwaZulu-Natal. But the trouble, I guess, is that value traps sometimes last forever. And I, I bring mm. you back to yes. Naspass And tell me about Naspass and your views on Naspass because – We've we said we can't sell Nasdaq out of the business portfolio for a long time. We've been saying this because one day they might unbundle the 10-cent shares. But that is something that might also never happen. So the mm. discount that Nasdaq is trading at to its cool. underlying assets could continue indefinitely.
6: Yeah, and, and get wide, as it has been doing over the past a while. Um, so so um, two questions there, value traps and, and Nasdaq. So let me deal with value traps first. Uh, you know, value traps um, and growth bombs, for that matter, um, are you know both part of the same investment outcome, and that is called a bad investment outcome. A, a value company, a company that's cheap that just stays cheap forever, or a company that's rated very highly because it's been growing very well and it collapses because something goes wrong. Um, you know, those are both bad investment outcomes. The way to deal with that is to build a portfolio of of assets, some of which will be value traps, some of which will be growth bombs, and hopefully many of which will be successful outcomes.
1: What's a growth bomb? It's
6: very hard. Sorry?
1: A growth bomb?
6: A growth bomb is something like KOH, for instance, that was regarded as a high-growth company. It had a high rating on the market. It was well-regarded by analysts. And then something goes wrong, and it goes from 100 Rand to 6 Rand. Got it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And we saw many of those over the past few years, Steinhoff, EOH, and so on and so forth, um, uh, CSG. There's, there's many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same thing as a value trap. It's a bad investment outcome. And the way to manage bad investment outcomes is to build a portfolio of assets because it's very hard to predict which ones are going to be good and which ones are going to be bad. That's It's an almost impossible task. You can just think back to Steinhoff four years ago. If you publicly said Steinoff would be a bad investment, people at that time thought you were stupid or they thought there was something wrong with you. Um, you know, Steinoff and the directors there walked on water. So it's very really hard to predict what happened at Steinhoff. You couldn't beforehand say there's something wrong here. It was in the portfolios of all the big fund managers. You know, It, it was there. But the way to deal with it is to have a diversified portfolio of assets, some of which will be value traps, but you'll only find that out afterwards. Some of which will be growth bombs, as I call them, but you'll only find that out afterwards. And some of which will be successful investments. And as a whole, if you put the portfolio together sensibly, your portfolio should do well. And right now, in South Africa, I think you have the opportunity to put together quite a sensible portfolio with a high expected return, despite – Things like Tongat happening from time to time.
1: So it's that bundle of sticks that you you spoke about at our conference and and you keep talking about. But just to close off with, what about NOSPAS? Is that a value trap that we can now finally (laughs) dump?
6: So so the way I think about NosPass is uh, I think about its underlying asset being Tencent. It's a fantastic business, uh, growing at a high rate, but Tencent faces certain existential risks which are hard to discount, how hard is the Chinese government going to crack down on them? What is the Chinese government going to do? Um, so that's one risk. The second risk is you know, if you own Tencent shares, you own you it through a structure called a variable interest entity, and that structure has never been tested in court. Um, if you remember uh, a few years ago uh, in Alibaba, Jack Ma took, basically took Ant Financial out of Alibaba for nothing because of the variable interest entity structure that was in place there. He was able to do that. He could. Mm. Uh, so the government can expropriate Tencent from its owners, and I say owners because uh, if you own Tencent shares, you're not actually an owner. You you have a share in a variable interest entity. So, And that's an ex- existential risk. So as Buffett says, a long range, a long range of uh, series of positive numbers like NASPAS put on the board with ten cent multiplied by zero is zero, and so I think one has to build that into your investment case. How how that influences your thinking? So for me, at these levels where the market is discounting a permanently future for ten cent, I can see some existential risks which preclude me from investing in NASPAS at all.
2: An anonymously produced open letter to President Cyril Ramaphosa was sent by a business community member to Alec Hogg. The letter was published on Business.com yesterday and has already been read well over 100,000 times. This is that letter. Dear Mr. President, you now have the perfect opportunity to do the right thing. Everyone knows this was an attempted coup and you've said as much just in different words. It was civil society who came to your rescue. Ordinary people living ordinary lives across the income, gender and race divide, showing you that South Africans are one. We stand together when the odds are against us. We stood together to protect life, property and democracy and in an important way, we did the job the army and police after years of mismanagement and catered deployment could not do. We protected the legitimately elected government. You, in other words. So here's some advice you may care to hear about doing the right thing and showing everyone that you really are grateful that we stood as one to defend democracy and that you do have respect for us all no matter who we are, and that you really care about something else other than power and ANC unity. Stop treating poor black South Africans like voting fodder. Enough with the failed service delivery. It's disgusting and unnecessary. Fire people who don't do their jobs. Make that phone call. Read the goddamn Riot Act. Start delivering services. Show you actually give a damn how people live and whether they can get clean water and drive safely on our roads. So enough with the KFC and t-shirts. It's revolting. Stop treating white South Africans like the enemy. Make saying WMC or 1652 a hate crime, like the K-word. It's actually every bit as insulting, and it's flung about carelessly by ideologues who are just plain racist. Enough now. And tell the Human Rights Commission to do its job. They're supposed to look after all of us. They don't. Stop treating coloured and Asian South Africans like second-class citizens, They also suffered under apartheid. Stop with a hierarchy of disadvantaged rubbish. It's divisive and revolting. Quotas are a no-no. Dump them. Everywhere. Sport included. Admit we have a tribal problem. Zulus moved to the ANC when they thought one of their own had a shot at the presidency after years of the Cosa Nostra. They were right. He did. And look what he did. The attempted coup was nothing but Zulu insurgency and resentment at having lost power and the chance to feed at the trough again. Read your history, just be honest about it, and move on. Stop with the dual legal system. We are supposed to have just the one. So taxis, thanks for all the help during the riots and looting. Kudos to you. You deserve it and we'll all be a bit nicer to you now. But tough love is called for here. Like obeying the rules of the road, having licenses and paying tax... Come now. Why must I or anybody else if they don't? There are other examples, many, where there's one rule for people who vote in a block for the ANC and then we others. Like unions and the damage they cause during strikes but yet are never ever held accountable. Enough already. People lose the will to obey the law when they see favoured people and groups flouting it without consequence. Stop calling anti-white, anti-coloured and anti-Asian discrimination transformation or empowerment. It isn't. It's a thoroughly odious policy because it causes division, resentment and hatred and mass-scale immigration of our talent. Just stop it. Rather give proper tax incentives to get the unemployed into jobs and let people compete equally so we're not in a perpetual race to the bottom. Black South Africans are more than capable of competing. Stop infantilizing them. It isn't winning any votes and it causes massive corruption and endless inefficiencies. You have the evidence in front of you. Enough. Just stop. Stop discriminating against people working abroad, most of whom can't find jobs here either because of the economy or affirmative action. The new tax on them when they aren't even here and aren't absorbing services is noxious. Just stop. And that immigration tax? Enough. Stop. People leaving have already paid tax on that money. They shouldn't have to pay twice. Just let them go in peace. And how dare you tell South African citizens that if they apply for another passport to which they are entitled, without first asking for permission, that they will automatically lose their South African citizenship. How dare you? Citizenship where you are born or naturalized is a right. It's inviolate. So just stop. Having dual citizenship isn't harming anyone. Just stop. The xenophobia disaster needs attention and it starts with you. Violence against foreigners not only finds expression in catastrophic attitudes against Africans, But it also is evidence on how you treat skilled foreigners from elsewhere in the world. Why make it so difficult for them to come here and share their skills? We have hemorrhaged skills. We need them. Desperately. Make it happen. It isn't hard. Tell home affairs to start behaving like human beings and do their jobs quickly. Why does it take six days to get a copy of a birth certificate in most Western countries and up to six months here? What are they doing? It's not as if home affairs is underemployed. How could you agree to anything more than a wage freeze for the public sector? It's bloated, overemployed and frighteningly inefficient. Why should the private sector bear the brunt of it all? We're all suffering while they continue to earn guaranteed wages. Enough. Do you now understand the damage that catered employment has done? Even though in your evidence at the Zondo Commission you said it would continue to be ANC policy? I can't believe you really think that. You must have been playing to the gallery. You nearly had a coup because of it. The SAPS were woefully unprepared and completely unprofessional during these riots. They just stood by and watched people loot, as they do when xenophobia strikes. They just stand there and watch idly. Or when trucks are stopped, stoned and looted, they just stand there. In this attempted coup, the army was late, the detachment too small, and the heads of both the SANDF and the police might be political heavyweights, but they are professional lightweights. They are completely out of their depth. If you have to keep them, send them as deputy ambassadors to African countries. Then they'll be safely out of the way and no threat to you. Professionalize both ministries so we can respect them again. Shut up with the comrade this and comrade that. It's 1950s Soviet-speak and it's patently ridiculous. Tell the ANC Women's League to stay in its lane. They are appalling. Tell us one thing, just one, that they have done to enable women to grow and succeed in this country. They're just a political group of women with racist views and ideological confusion. Most women with a brain who I know, and that's a lot, wouldn't go near them with a 10-foot barge pole. Stop treating us like children with alcohol. You're drinking the Kool-Aid of the prohibitionists. Yes, we do have a problem, like any country. And if you read the science and the stats, it isn't a tenth as bad as you constantly make out, so stop scapegoating it. Deal with it. And that doesn't mean more legislation, which illegals in any event will ignore. It means enforcement. It means doing your job and education for those who need it. For the rest, just leave us alone. Stop with this NHI fantasy nightmare. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Those of us on medical aid save a fortune for you to spend on those who can't afford health care. So just do your job. Fix the hospitals. Hire more doctors. Treat nurses with respect. Professionalize intern deployment, which is a basket case of inefficiency and dire incompetence. Just do your job for crying out loud. There's enough money there, but useless caders running it. If they can't do the job, fire them. Stop whining at private and Model C schools. Again, parents are paying for that which saves you paying for their children at public schools. The color of the teacher does not matter. Not to us as parents, not to children, not to anyone. Except the ANC. So, why don't you do yourself a favor and learn from the private schools? They use their money wisely. They involve their parents and actually listen to them. And they run the schools professionally. They are accountable. So, duplicate that in the public sector. It ain't that hard. Start with SADTU. I shouldn't have to tell you this. Stop with the expropriation rubbish. It's theft, and you know it is. You only support it because the loony members of your party wanted to take pressure off the ANC from the EFF. And the other ones just wanted a license to steal. Stop. It's enough. You have plenty of land owned by the state to redistribute. No one's stopping you, just go for it. Stop with this business is the enemy rubbish. You have hashed the vaccine rollout because you wanted to control everything. But your government does nothing efficiently. Your ideological command and control has actually cost lives. You are to blame. What did you say to Jabu Mabuza's family? Sorry, he could have had the vaccine earlier, but ANC policy of control is more important. Come on. And while we're about it, tell the Competition Commission that their job is not to get in the way. They should also stay in their lane. They've turned the CC into a political tool. And while I'm about it, you can't have a communist running trade and industry. That's just plain stupid. Get with the program. Why, Mr. President, are people flocking in such great numbers to the Western Cape? I won't answer that because you know. So instead of being obstructive, try work with them. You may want to copy the concept of clean government. We might all not like those in power in the Western Cape or even vote for them, but they work hard and they don't steal. Stuff happens. Don't you just want to die when you see audit reports and the only clean ones are in the DA-run municipalities? Don't you just cringe with embarrassment? You should. You say you're non-racial. Good. But in the same breath, you say you like representivity, an appalling made-up word. Tell us again how many white ministers you have. Oh yes, none. Please don't play on the non-racial bandwagon you fell off long ago. Do you want productivity, Mr. President? Do you want economic success? Do you want social cohesion? Don't you understand that the vast middle want all of these things? Do you want to stay in power? It's not actually that hard. Treat us all with respect, equally, as citizens, who defended you when it really counted. And importantly, in too many cases to mention, the best thing for you to do is just to get out of the way.
3: Welcome to Tuzile Masugu for Biz News. The recent lootings and civil unrest in parts of South Africa has raised a number of concerns. Listen in on this excerpt from a business webinar featuring Brandhurst Wealth Management's Magnus Haystack and Claude Bysak of Unomix. Together with Alec Hogg, the group concentrated on what to do with your money and where to invest it. Here are some highlights.
1: This is probably the key question of the whole webinar. It's from Pierre, and he says, Magnus and Claude, should I stay in South Africa with my young family? And if so, why? Magnus, you want to kick off?
7: I would tell people to be honest about their view of what's going to happen. And I'm saying if you have the chance to externalize your career and even your family, considering what's taking place in South Africa, I would probably say that you should take that chance, even if it's just for a five years or a seven years and if things improve, you can always come back. But just to tell them, no, don't go. It would be a great disservice to, to, to those people if things turn out to be as bad as it, as it can turn out. I think the one issue that we haven't touched on, Alec, if I may, is saying what does the ANC need to do to change someone like Claude and my view about South Africa? And, and that, as Claude mentioned, it depends on the ANC and the Cabinet And unless they don't change their strategies, get hold of law and order in this country, my recommendation to a young family like that will be is to go. Go with my blessing because there are bigger forces at play than just the individual's rights and your loyalty to the country. So probably I'll say, yes, go. But there could be a turning point one day, and I'm not so sure it's going to happen soon. But let's just assume that the ANC gets control And I think they will start with law and order. Law and order, we talk about it all day long, but it has to be practical. We talk about, we haven't mentioned that three or four weeks ago, Alec, the general manager of Rio Tanto in Richards Bay Minerals, was shot and killed. And they declared a force. That was already the first inkling that there's something wrong in, in KwaZulu Natal and that there is something brewing. But the government has done very little about the burning of trucks in Moya River for many, many years, have done very little about the Zama. Zama Zamas basically taking over mines. They've done very little about the construction mafia arriving at mines and construction sites. The government has allowed this, uh, this, this absolute wave of lawlessness to fester, and we've now seen it. They were totally impotent to control this uprising. They were ineffective. They were... Totally, Dierma Kaur, as saying, they say in the Good Africans, they had no idea what they were doing and what they should be doing. And if Cyril Ramaphosa doesn't start firing some cabinet ministers and having some balls, as Brian Pottinger wrote in your, uh, on your website, you seriously have to worry about where South Africa is going to end up five or seven or ten years from now. We need something to happen. But if the ANC buckles down and doubles down on what they have been doing, which brought us to this position, then it can get very, very bad.
8: Claude, Well, it's a difficult question to answer. I'm not a South African uh, citizen. I wasn't born here. I wasn't raised here. I don't have family here. My kids are South African. And it's already an agonizing consideration for me, considering how wonderful a country it is. And considering how high you know I I was when I came here in 2000 2002 with the promise um, that was represented by the new South Africa, I'm looking at it. I mean personally because I have small children and I'm concerned about their ability to have career and futures in this country. I'm perfectly enough. I'm French citizen. I'm Mauritian citizen. I have I have options. Um, but I will say this: what is rational at the individual level can become irrational at the collective level if all the people in the middle and upper middle class leave south africa then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy then there is no left there is no center to hold anymore and all we have is we have then the extremes the extreme rich who benefit from a crony capitalist system and from government corruption and the extreme poor who present the majority and that then leads to the kind of explosions on a scale magnified to what we've seen. It's so difficult. And we know of so many South Africans who have left South Africa, looking for better lives elsewhere, and then realizing that, um, you know, the the grass isn't greener there. Uh, There's a a counterpoint to what Magnus has been saying, is that in South Africa, uh, we still have extraordinary quality of life, and yes, there's double taxing and that impacts the quality of life. But I can assure you that what you gain on one side of the balance book, you lose on the other side of the balance on the, you know, on the balance sheet. You know, living in Europe, living in America, living in Australia is not easy living. These societies are machines and you have to find a way to fit in that. Nobody cares about you. Uh, you can't get the kind of house you have. You don't have the kind of weather you have and 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 you don't have the kind of sense of nationhood uh, traumatizing as it is or not that you have um, in South Africa. and so I would say, you know if you can export your business, if you can securitize your your income, if you can use this extraordinary boom. In, in, in the new economy, which is that we are delocalized from where we work, then South Africa still, I think, has a lot to offer. But you have to be hedged. You have to make sure that you have income in foreign currencies and investment in foreign currencies. And you have, in case things go bad, the, an escape plan. It's not an either or. It's a complicated personal and collective calculus one has to make. But one has to keep with the, you know, the finger on the pulse and not delude oneself one way or the other.
1: It's very personal and it is very complicated. And I would just give you some other little inputs to add into the package. If you are from a white in the white community in South Africa and you are not an entrepreneur, then you must realize that your prospects are certainly not enhanced in the. Uh, Because of historical and all kinds of reasons. And you can argue this one way or the other. But you're not going to have as uh, good an opportunity in South Africa as you might have in a less racially defined society. So that's the first part. If you are, however, prepared to be entrepreneurial, take responsibility for your own future. I don't think you can find a better country in the world. Uh, the risks are high, but the rewards are also high as well. To me, it starts or from the basis of where you are. If you're an accountant and you want to be an accountant, you want to work for somebody else, uh, you might uh, have a better career elsewhere. However, if you are somebody who uh, is is prepared to hustle to get out there to to find new partners uh, who you might even not even think about as being partners today from different cultures, and that well, uh, th- this is a great place. And the other the other point that um, I would like to just just suggest that you put in the back of your mind is that we are social animals and uh, we are, we are social, social species. And if we uh, do go into different environments, uh, that whole social network needs to be rebuilt and restructured. Now, the good news for you is that there are certain parts of the world where there are big, big groups now of expatriate South Africans, and it's pretty easy to plug into those, but they will never be uh, quite like being at home it 's a tough question and it 's a tough decision um, but in the wake of what happened in the past week, my personal view and maybe this is my entrepreneur uh, my optimistic nature is that something has shifted, something big has shifted and although we're talking still about politics as though it the way it 's existed in the past, the whole political environment has changed and i 'll just give you one little point. That came through last night from a, um, a discussion that Magnus and I were having about a client of his in Belito. and maybe, maybe Magnus, just correct me here, but the the people in Belito, the community in Belita, knew that they were going to have their suburb, their town trashed by uh, the looters, so they went on to remember Belita in the middle of KwaZulu Natal. They went on to structure. barricades to make sure that the looters never came in. This wasn't just Belita. This happened throughout KwaZulu-Natal, by the way. Uh, And then the police came and told these guys, Magnus, correct me if I'm wrong, that they must go. And they said to the police, we outgun you, we outman you. We are not going to lay down and allow the looters to destroy our town. You go, police. Now, if that's accurate and that's true, that's what the Afrikaner cultural group have been (laughs) telling us now for 10 years, is that you have to take care of yourself in this country and you do that best by becoming part uh, becoming an active citizen and becoming part of the community of communities paul hoffman is a regular participant uh, on the biz news platforms he is with accountability now he's a sc is that right senior council yeah, that's right senior council and and uh, how did accountability now come into being paul
9: well, I got a be in my bonnet about accountability in uh, 2008, and decided uh, with one other person to set up what is now a uh, still a, a small NGO that runs on the smell of an oil rag, and uh, we, we have mainly concentrated on uh, exacting accountability, promoting responsiveness through confronting. Uh, corruption in South Africa. We've had quite a lot of success and um, we we were involved in the Glenister litigation, in the Bread cartel case, and in bringing about that useless commission of inquiry into the arms deals. So, bl- bl- uh, bl- blame mm. us for that.
1: How do you pick your battles?
9: Quite carefully, because um, the main source of income of an organisation like this is successful costs award so when people ask me who pays the bills at accountability now i can honest honestly and truthfully answer jacob zuma with your money because we always beat him when we take him to court
1: <laughs> wow <laughs> and and today you did a big thing you you are creating a chapter nine institution maybe before we go into what you've done what is a chapter nine institution
9: uh, traditionally the way that modern governments are organized is on a three-legged pot, a legislature, an executive, and a judiciary. And in South Africa, when we converted from the parliamentary sovereignty of the apartheid years to the uh, constitutional democracy under the rule of law that is currently in place, the founders very wisely thought that it would be proper to create a fourth leg on the pot, which uh, is the leg created by Chapter 9 of the Constitution. So Chapter 9 is a reference to the chapter under which, at the moment, there are six institutions that essentially exist to bed down democracy. You could call them the integrity branch of government with a small eye because we have uh, appropriated the... Capital I Integrity Commission for the anti-corruption body that we have in mind.
1: If the ANC has dug its heels in so many times against anti-corruption initiatives, why would it now enable, because you're going to have to get their vote, uh, the Integrity Commission to be established? At
9: last, some good news in these dark days. In August last year, the ANC National Executive Committee, which is its highest decision making body between um, conferences, that body passed a resolution calling on Cabinet urgently to establish a permanent, standalone, independent, anti corruption body, and essentially their resolution ticks the boxes that were created in the second Glenister case. In that case, the majority said these are the criteria by which you measure the constitutional compliance of your anti-corruption machinery of state specialized, trained, independent, properly resourced and secure in tenure of office. Now, The Scorpions had the first four, but they weren't secure because they didn't have the uh, protection of Chapter 9 status. So those criteria are are really (laughs) a very short summary of a very long judgment. But at the end of the day, if those criteria are not satisfied, you are not uh, um, in in a position to say that we have uh, applied and honored and respected the judgment in the um, second Glenister case. And uh, the, the judges sounded it out loudly and clearly. These are the criteria by which we measure.
1: So does it and, does it mean that we're getting another Scorpions? Because you've now said the ANC are supporting it, the DA is supporting it, so you've got your two-thirds majority. You can get the Integrity Commission created. Is it like having new scorpions or resuscitating the scorpions
9: it it would be uh, new scorpions is not enough i'm afraid the the anc is at the point of saying we prepared to bring back the scorpions in the sona this year february 2021 the president announced that it is um, intended to create a statutory body which will report to parliament and not to the executive now that's a step in the right direction but, he said, a advisory council will be established and will spend the next two years working out how best to create the statutory council. Now, that is actually a step backwards from Glenister too because a statutory body was there in the form of the scorpions it did not enjoy the security of tenure of office that is required in terms of that STIRS acronym, the last S in STIRS being secure tenure of office. And so to do it is is, is, is simply not going to cut it constitutionally speaking. So really the argument or the the, the friction point at this stage is to get the ANC to the to the to the point where it recognises that a mere statute is not enough, and that a constitutional amendment of some kind is required to uh, remove corruption busting of the, the heavy corruption busting from the investigative capacity of the Hawks and the prosecutorial capacity of the National Prosecuting Authority. When we started on this, we put up draft legislation in uh, 2012. We still thought then that the NPA was sufficiently intact to be able to do the prosecution work. We know now, because Shamila Batoy is an honest public servant and uh, she's well supported by Hermione Cronier, that they have looked at the innards of the of the National Prosecuting Authority from the inside, and they have reported to Parliament that it is hollowed out, lacking in capacity, lacking in resources, and infested with saboteurs who were put there as part of the state capture project in order to thwart uh, any prosecution against well-connected cronies of uh, those who ran the state capture project. So... Um, We've we've shifted our ground to the point now where we reckon that best practice demands that both investigation and prosecution take place through the vehicle of a new Chapter 9 institution, which enjoys all uh, the protections of Chapter 9, the uh, constitutionally guaranteed without fear, favour or prejudice uh, status, and a reporting line to parliament not to the um, the executive branch of government in the form of the minister of justice or whoever else might be interested so is it going to happen is the integrity commission happen i think, it should going happen. To, to I think it. if it doesn't happen we will fail as a state i think there's a lot of you know kem Sutner has got got to the point now where he says we stand a 50-50 chance of of failing The main reason why we should do it at this time and quickly is because a properly capacitated uh, specialist body is in a position to rake back the loot of state capture. Now, there are various estimates out there, but let's just assume for the sake of argument that the lower estimate of one trillion rand is accurate. One trillion rand is a great deal of money there are 18 zeros to the left of the of the decimal point before you get to the one in one trillion. And if it's more than one trillion, well, it's even more money. And it's very difficult when you are looting on the scale that we saw in, uh, in, in the state capture project as revealed at the Zondo Commission to hide the loot. You have to turn it into assets. You have to move it offshore into bank accounts, which are... These days, traceable uh, with uh, clever software that these forensic accountants can can bring to bear, and uh, civil proceedings to re- to recover the loot of state capture will pay for the criminal justice administration for a, a merry month of Sundays because there, there is a great deal of money involved, and the the, the cost of running a properly motivated and upskilled uh, Integrity Commission to go after the, the big shots of corruption is, is is going to be minuscule compared to what you, you, the return you can get on that investment.
1: And, and all of that's great, but my question really is, without the support of the ANC, it can't happen. Are you confident yes. the ANC is going to support the creation of this Chapter Nine institution, which we 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 know? Every, you've explained it extremely well. We need it. The country needs it. It's going to claw back lots of money, etc. But the track record of the ANC would would count against it to this point. Are you confident that that leopard has changed its spots?
9: Well, I, I know that the ANC is a a body, a political party or a liberation movement that um, is, is shot through with problems because of corrupt activities. Uh, it's my hope that the uh, the reformist agenda of President Ramaphosa, his uh, uttering the right words at uh, great uh, occasions of state like the opening of Parliament and so on, uh, th- those sentiments and that resolution that uh, was taken in uh, a year ago, in August last year, um, uh, instructing Cabinet to basically create constitutionally compliant anti-corruption machinery of state should get the wagon through the drift. And um, if, if it doesn't, it, it will mean that the baddies in the ANC uh, have won through that the faction that seems at the moment to be on the back foot because Zuma is in jail Ace Magashula is in the dock in a criminal case and uh, many of its leading members Are suspended, Uh, I'm thinking of Carl Niaus and Andili Lungisa, who who are are both suspended from the ANC. If the ANC wants to win the next election, then it needs to take into account that before Ramaphosa won at NASREC, its own research was showing that it enjoyed 40% of the popular vote. And his promises and his new dawn and renewal agenda, his uh, respectable uh, facade, managed to persuade enough people to take that 40% to the 57% that the ANC has now. If they don't, before the next general election, follow through on the anti-corruption promises, they are going to be punished by the electorate. The South African electorate has become increasingly sophisticated over the years, people are not fools they can see what is going on within the ANC they can see who is is, is creating uh, the, the, the sort of havoc that was experienced in KzN and Kalteng, um in, in the run-up to Madiba's 103rd birthday and uh, if, if they continue to vote for the ANC in those circumstances well more fool the electorate <laughs>
1: Well, thanks for being with us through this week. It's been our pleasure, as always. Uh, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Business News Power Hour is on mon- from Monday to Thursday, and uh, our colleague uh, Carrie Adams takes over on a Friday with her um, Fun Friday program, focusing on wine, lifestyle, etc. Our team will be back again with you, same time, same place, on Monday. Until then, cheerio. This market.